Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. We have the hosts, Marilyn. Hey, guys. And Elliot. Hey, everybody. And we are joined by a very special guest, our first guest of the year. Um, I know we're all super excited to have you on, so welcome to the podcast, Scott. Scott Molina, coming from Christchurch, New Zealand. And... We don't really have time to do your entire resume, but just to sum it up pretty quickly, I, I mean, I know you have, what, over 100 race wins. You've won Ironman Hawaii, potentially the most decorated triathlete of all time. No, no, definitely not. But yes, I had a, I had, I had a long Arguably, career. I'm going to argue that. I think it's, it's arguably. I, I, I did a lot of races and I had a long career and it was a lot of fun. Let's just sum it up like that. All right, awesome. Well, again, we are super excited to have you on. Um, and so I guess to give the audience, the listeners a little bit more in, in your history, like, can you tell us approximately when you started racing and like, are you still racing now or what is your involvement like in the sport at this point in your career? Right. I started racing in 1981 uh, when the sport was in its infancy. I think there was uh, three races in, in Northern California that year and I did them all. And uh, the first ever pro races were in 82. And so I did those. There was three in California. And, and then it kind of grew from there quite, quite quickly. And so I raced as a pro until 95. And then uh, took a big long break until um, about 2000. And then uh, I, I worked out and I was a personal trainer and started coaching then, but, um, but really didn't compete much at all. And then started competing as an age grouper when I turned 40 in 2000 and uh, have been competing ever since. Although the last couple of years uh, due to COVID and me being in New Zealand, you know, we've, everything's just canceled. And so, and I also have a crummy left knee now that's quite worn out. So I'm not sure if uh, my running days are over really uh, exactly, but my running decently, those days are definitely gone. Uh, so I think I've been hearing you say that for a good 15 years, but it was like your foot about 10 years ago from basketball, not, not all the races. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I've, I've had one foot operation and one little knee operation on each knee. And so I'm just trying not to F it up any worse, you know, cause I, if I don't run, uh, I'm fine. I can do anything else, including lift weights and whatever, you know, tennis, golf, basketball. So, so as long as I don't run, I'm, I'm good. So I might, I might just leave it like, leave it like that. Right. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you here because you are probably the biggest influence, not probably you have been the biggest influence in my entire triathlon and bike racing career. And, you know, since I started in 1999, all of the, you, you know, you, you, it was in your hands, the results that I had and the career that I had and all the lessons that I learned and then everything that I took forward to pass on to all the people that I coach now. And so with this podcast being a coaching podcast, it's exciting for me to have, you know, my coach and my mentor through the entire sport and my coaching career here on with us today. And I've got some fun questions and I know Elliot and Jesse have some questions as well, but uh, I know that every single athlete that I coach has heard lots 
of Scott's stories. And oh, so they're oh, going to be very excited to hear the this podcast today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the ones that you guys left me out in the middle of nowhere by myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> those, were, those were important, important times for you, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> lots of, what did you used to say? Lots of personal reflection time. It's a personal time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. So, um, you know, the biggest thing that I would love to, to talk about, I've got so many questions and I'll, I'll start us off, but, um, you know, being in the sport since 81 to now, I would love to hear just a small summary. We could probably do a whole podcast on this, but a small summary on how you feel the professional side of racing, how that's, you know, obviously the evolution has just been unbelievable. And what would be your sort of top takeaways that you observe, let's say even from a racing standpoint, but then also just from a coaching standpoint with the professional field, where, where it was at, like when you were racing and you were developing professionals to what you see happening now in the racing and as far as like developing athletes and, and how the race dynamics play out and all of those kinds of things. Well, the, the two, two things have changed. You know, when I started the course, there was no coaches. And so we kind of made it up as we went along and it was, it was a lot of experimentation and there was also a lack of data. You know, there, there was no heart rate monitors, no power meters, you know, you had your speedometer and you had the clock and that's, that's what you used really as your, as your, as your guides, you know, were you, were you going faster, you know, uh, and that's it really. Um, and so, so what's changed so, so much is, is, is both those things, coaching, a lot of smart people have come along and, you know, uh, and, and there's a lot of data, tons of data. And so, and I think those have, and, 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 and there's the history of what people used to do, you know, and those, those get passed down, stories get passed down, just like you passed down things that you, you did in your career. And so, and so there's a lot more knowledge, you know, the, the knowledge base is, it's got to be a million times greater than, than there was when I was racing as a pro, or even, even when I was retiring in 95, you know, those were still days of infancy, really. And so, so I'd say things have changed a lot and, and, and for the better. You know, uh, especially for young athletes coming up, it's, you know, that they, I think they can rest assured if they're committing to their life to trap on. And, and you sort of have to, if you want to be an elite in the sport, you know, uh, at 18, 19, whatever, you know, I think a, a young pro can have confidence that if they're picking the right uh, coach and the right situation, the right group, the right environment, that they're going to reach, they're probably going to, they're very likely to reach their potential, you know, and um, it's not going to be hit and miss. Whereas in my day, you know, there was so many good athletes who came into the sport and for one reason or another burnt out or injured or, you know, uh, uh, never, never got there, you know, because maybe sometimes because they just didn't believe that if they kept doing what they were doing for a number of more years, they were going to get there you know, cause nobody knew how, how long does it take to, to get really, really good at this sport, you know? And, um, so yeah, I think a heck of a lot's changed. Uh, but, but I'm, 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 I, I kind of wish, you know, if, uh, I was doing it all over again, that I would have been, um, had some of the things that are available to young pros now. 
I was curious, what is, you were mentioning, obviously so many things have, have changed, but what is one thing you were doing in 1984 to 95 that you would say is like a, a, what you thought was a common piece of advice back then amongst you and your racing peers that still holds true today? Like the one thing that hasn't changed um, or, or one piece of advice that kind of is like a lot of things have changed, but this still holds true. You wake up every day committed to being the best you can be and, and, and doing what you can do, which, which are, what you think is the best thing to do, you know, and, and know that it's going to take a long time to get good. I, I, I knew that, uh, when I was a teenager, um, and I knew that throughout my whole career that the commitment had to be there. You know, if, if, uh, if you had long periods off or, or doing it half-assed, um, you know, you weren't going to get the most out of yourself and, and you weren't going to win races. And, uh, so, you know, you, it, it was, it was all going to fall apart if you, if your, if your commitment flagged. And I think that's still true today. Yeah. I'll say, I remember when I very first started, I, I told you I wanted to be a professional. I think you, you waited till you saw me in person. You could look me in the eye. And that was the first conversation you had with me. You sat me down and said, what if I told you this is going to take you 10 years of, of absolutely gutting it out hundred percent every single day. And then you might get there. Like, is your answer still, yes, you want to do this. And that was like the, one of the first, I mean, out of hundreds of really important conversations we had, I remember that clear as day. And um, it's, it's really cool to hear you say that that still stands true as one of the most important things to, to hang on to throughout a athletic career. And, and it's not easy to, to, you know, I remember you were in a very tumultuous period in your life uh, when you came to Christchurch and you had a lot of questions about your personal life that were going on in your head. And, but you were like, yes, I want to do this. I really want to do this. And, uh, and to me, it was like, okay, that's it. I mean, you know, I, you know, a person could change their mind, of course, but, you know, as far as the coach athlete relationship goes, you know, if, if the person is looking you in the eye and say, yes, I'm 100% seer, I'm committed to, to seeing what I can do in this sport, then, then that's, you know, that's all a, a coach can ask of an athlete. One, one cool thing, I, I won't take, um, I won't be too big of a bully with all of the questions, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll just ask this one more that I think is really unique and special with you is that you're not only great at developing young athletes, and for a long period of time, like you say, but I know I've leaned on you over the years with some of some of the older athletes, you know, when athletes are getting more mature in their, either their professional career in their late thirties, we're even seeing it into their forties or even just amateur athletes, you know, the amateur athletes that are wanting to, I mean, they're really training hard and going fast, like really fast now. Um, and they're in their fifties, sixties, and they're absolutely burning rubber out there. It's like, what I've seen you do such a great job with the details of keeping those athletes fast. Can you share with us some of those little, you know, the little secrets in that age group of like 40 to 60, where you're keeping people going really fast? Well, I, 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 I that's where my bread and butter as a coach has been, you know, the, um, that's how I've made a living for the last 20 plus years. So what I, what I found as I've aged too, you know, um, that uh, time gets shorter, energy gets shorter, you're not as elastic, um, and, and you, you need to do a little bit of prehab or rehab 
just about every day. You know, there's some, there's some, it does, and it doesn't, it can be incorporated into your day, like stretching while you're reading the newspaper or while you're reading a book or, or while you're talking on the phone or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that there has to be a recognition in your own mind. Okay. I can't just bash myself every day and think I, I, I can do this for weeks and weeks and months. You know, there's, there's going to have to be some breaks and there's going to have to be some um, preventative maintenance going on or else, you know, things are going to break. And so that's one thing. And then on top of that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more convinced all the time that there needs to be a little bit of work on the top end uh, range of motion and, and just going fast just about all the time. And it could be in small doses. Like I'm a, I'm a big advocate of strides, for example. You know, most easy runs that I, I prescribe end with four times 20 second strides near the end. You know, we're talking I just got a butt in. You're all wrong. It's five times 20 seconds. <laughs> five, five strides. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so anyway, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of little doses of fast stuff. You know, even, even on the bike on an easy day, you know, I might put in eight times 40 seconds at uh, FTP watts, for example you know, with, with plenty of rest. So it's, you know, it's only a few minutes here and there, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for the older peers. And the, old, the, the older you get, the more that has to be a part of almost every week of the year, even, on, even during your off seasons, you know? So I've, I've changed my view on that a little bit where I've, I'm prioritizing that uh, a little bit more. And I'm, and I'm having the older the athlete is, uh, the less off season they have, and the less intense they work during their crucial periods prior to their A races. I was going to hop in with kind of a, a series of questions. So, so you mentioned your last year racing professionally it was 1995. I was curious, did you do any coaching? Um, I'm sure you, you had tons of conversations with folks, but did you do any coaching before that? Or was it like once 95 hit, that's when you officially started coaching? I kind of started with a, a lady named Rena Hill uh, from mm -hmm. Australia in 91. Uh, she, she came to Boulder and, um, and asked me to help her. And so that was my first official role as a coach. You know, I would, would talk amongst my peers uh, yeah. during my pro, my pro career, but, um, but never really wrote out a program specifically for somebody for a long period of time, like I did with Rena in 91. So I had a few other um, pros, no age groupers at all, um, um, because I honestly, I, I didn't feel like I could relate to them. And so when I retired in 95, uh, I think I'd coached about maybe four or five pros over those four years off, off and on. And then uh, I, I, I did some personal training at a gym, I, I did train. I took got my personal training certificate, and started working with older people in a gym environment, just like a normal PT does, you know. And uh, I did that for four years, and that was a tremendous learning experience, you know. You know, people come to you just want to lose weight, you know. They just want to get fit, you know, or they they want to do coast to coast, or you know, they want to run a ten k or whatever. And so that was that was really. Uh, when I, I started to be able to relate to normal people. Your volume just changed on us, Scott. My, my volume changed? Yep. Oh, okay. Sorry about there that. There you go. There you oh, go. Good. Get back. Okay. So anyway, I, 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 no, I, I, I really didn't coach 
um, at all uh, age groupers, uh, normal people, uh, you might say, uh, until starting in about 96, 97. Okay. So, so you do your pro career, you get a, a handful of pros, you could say practicing towards the end of your, your racing career, and then you get to personal train. And then as you start training with more age groupers and professionals after you're retired, um, I was curious, what was like one thing that you were like, I did this in my career, obviously you, you won a lot and you're like, and actually I think I need to not have other people do that. Cause I kind of botched that on my own career. So like looking back on, you know, like a very storied career, what was something that you were kind of like, that was actually a bad idea or maybe it wasn't so good. Um, you know, was, like nitpicking yourself. No, there was lots of those things. They weren't hard to find. <laughs> okay. I, I, I raced too much. Uh, I often did back to back races. Um, I, I did uh, too many long rides really long rides, like over five hours. Um, and I trained too much in the extreme heat. Um, all those things I thought were, I didn't, I had my diet was shit uh, for until I was probably 30 something. Um, I drank too much, way too much. Uh, so I know all those things, you know, I, I would, I would advise the pros that I was working with, you know, I, I wasn't, they don't hit them over the head with a sledgehammer over, over these things. But, you know, it's like, you know, moderation in these areas will, will be a good thing for you. So the extreme like distance of long rides, you actually pared down pretty quickly. Yes. For, for, your, for your athletes. Yes. Even, even like with Cameron Brown, who I, I sure. doubled, I doubled his training when he started doing Ironmans. And even then, you know, he hardly ever rode over 150 K. Good Instagram follow. Um, can I ask a side question on that? Can sure. can you kind of quantify when you say like too many long rides, like, you know, were you doing three or four a week or were you doing, you know, X number a month um, just to give people like some actual numbers to, and I mean, I know we're just kind of being approximate here, but. Well, I probably, let's see, there's 52 weeks in a year. So I probably did about 35 weeks a year where I would do two five hour rides or more. And oftentimes they were six or seven or eight hours. So, you know, that's, 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 you know, 75, 80% of the year I was doing two long rides a week. Perfect. And, um, and that was with all the racing, especially that I was doing, you know, and, uh, it was too much. It was, it was I think, I, well, yeah, I was tired. I was tired all the time. I, I, I thought I could have gotten more out of myself if I had just mellowed out on the long rides. And you were racing Olympic distances quite frequently, correct? Yeah, I raced about 20 races a year for over 10 years. Okay. That inc includes all distances. But would about 15 of those be Olympic-ish or like an hour to three hours or so? Well, we hardly had any sprints. Uh, okay. I, I think I only did probably maybe three sprint distance races in my whole career. And so it was either Olympic or, or longer. Although okay. the 70.3 distance wasn't uh, so prevalent. Uh, then so it was either olympic or ironman and so i right. usually did, you know i did two to three ironmans a year for sure. for the whole my whole career really so then you start coaching you have your athletes uh maybe eat a little healthier drink a little less do not so many long rides race less frequently and 
and and that's kind of where you start and so then if you look at your coaching career how you're how you're shaping athletes like after 15 20 years of coaching what are some things where if you look back at young version of scott coaching to to yourself now where you're like oh i've changed this over time you know you'd mentioned at the top of the show kind of like elasticity or strides for an older athlete but what about um anything you wanted to add on top of that or for for a younger athlete or a higher level athlete I probably, I probably would have, um, for the, for the people who were struggling with their swimming, um, like Marilyn, for example, I probably would have had them under the thumb of, uh, of a good technical coach. Um, I know she, you know, she's had a lot of swim coaches in her career and we've, we've talked briefly about her time with Brett Sutton, for example, and I wouldn't call him. That's not my idea of what I would call a technically, uh, a person who has the technical aspects of, of the stroke at, as a priority. Um, and, and so I, I, I probably would have changed that where at least periods during the year where the people who were struggling with their swimming, they should have said, okay, let's just, let's just put the bike and run kind of on hold for a while, maybe three months and learn how to swim. You know, and I, di- I didn't emphasize that enough. I would, if I had to do it again, I probably would. Yeah, for sure. That's good advice. Marilyn, I have a list, so if you don't jump in, I'll keep talking. No, it's great. I could take over as well. We we could probably talk to Scott for like six hours. So, but Jesse's been very quiet and I know he's not feeling well, but we still want to hear what his questions are. And I'm, I'm pushing him just a little bit as a friend because he is the one out of all of us that is still racing professionally. And he is now 40, 41, right, Jesse? And so 40, I think 40. This is 40. So this is like a really, I, I want to take the opportunity to have Jesse and Scott on a conversation together and give him a chance to ask Scott things that as a 40-year-old who's been racing a long time and, and now out there in that professional field and, and get some, you know, get some questions out there and maybe some advice from one of the best. Um, so... I'm, I'm really curious about the nuts and bolts of your training, kind of in that maybe like late eighties timeframe when you were kind of developed as a professional, uh, still like, you know, at the very top of your game, racing a lot, training pretty hard, what that looked like on like almost a day-to-day level, if you could say, well, I mean, you didn't always do the same stuff, but kind of like maybe what a standard week might look like. And then contrasting that to when you came back in 2000, I assume you're still trying to get the most out of yourself, although in a very different time in your life, kind of what a week might have looked like then. Um, and, and just kind of like what the, the similarities were and what the differences were in kind of how you thought about your, your own training. Okay. Um, I was, I was a swimmer and a runner kid. And so I, I, I probably trained as hard in high school, really my total volume when doing both those, uh, and, and back in the 70s, there was a, a big emphasis on over-distance training, especially with swimming. Swimming was nuts when in the 70s. You just wouldn't believe what, what swim coaches had kids doing. You know, uh, we would start building up in the fall. And then by about November, we were swimming about 80K a week. And, and, and we would do that all winter, except for the camps over Christmas. We'd go 90, 100K a week for two or three weeks. And, um, and so that was normal all over the country in the United States and because they were trying to replicate what the Germans were doing. And of course, Germans swimming, you know, they dominated in 72, 76. And so that a lot of the American coaches brought 
all this German philosophy uh, of training, not understanding or appreciating all the hormonal help that all those German swimmers had to get through that training, right? And so the kids were just falling over left, right, and center, but then, you know, one or two kids would come out of there, you know, the, the genetic, uh, the, bed, the, the kids that were suited to that type of uh, work and would, would pop up and, and, and do great and set world records and all that. So, so this, oh yeah, this coaching philosophy works. And so I came from that background and I, and I brought that into my, into my career. And so I trained a heck of a lot. And, but I was, I was a sturdy kid by then too, because I'd been running uh, at a high level for five years before I ever did a triathlon. I started running at 15. And uh, so I was, I was a very uh, sturdy kid. And so, you know, a typical week, probably starting in, in 82, 82 through 85 is when I rode the most. Uh, I was riding a ridiculous amount, uh, you know, 400 miles a week was average uh, for, for that whole period, for that three year period, I probably averaged 400, 400 miles a week. And so, um, uh, that was a, it was a mixture of stuff. You know, we had group rides, we had hard rides, we had long, a lot of long rides. Um, the, the cycling was probably less structured of anything. It was just mostly just riding, you know, and, and racing a lot. And, um, again, no heart rate monitor, no Watts, you know, just, just go ride hard you know, try to drop the other guy, whatever. Um, my run, my run, uh, training was, was pretty consistent, probably from about 82 to 90. And that was usually a day off on Monday, which was usually my long ride day, my longest ride day, especially if I raced on Saturday or Sunday. Um, just get on the plane, come home for the weekend, get on my bike, uh, swim in the morning. So I usually swam five days a week for about an hour to hour and a quarter. That never changed, even even when I was in my 40s uh, and 50s, and now to till today, I still swim about five days a week for about an hour to an hour and a quarter. That hadn't changed much. The intensity changed a little bit because I used to swim with better swimmers back then. Um, so the swimming hasn't changed much. That didn't change during my whole career, really. Um, the biking started to get a little bit more specific with efforts and speed and timing myself and reps and stuff uh probably starting from about 87 88 90 through 90 90 till 93 and when heartbeat monitors came in um just try to dial my efforts in a little bit more um, but still i was just riding with good people in general my whole career and just trying to keep up you know You'd go ride with mark allen and you knew you were going to have a very hard ride and uh, so um, if I did, if I wanted an easy day, I'd just go by myself. Uh, and, uh, but my run, my run training, you know, it was very structured. That was the one thing I brought for my running career. Uh, I knew I needed some long runs. I knew I needed some steady runs. I knew I needed some intervals. And I wasn't the fastest guy in, uh, running wise but I was, I was a good runner. Like I, I ran 30, 50 on the track when I was 19. And um, I know I was a better runner as a triathlete than I was as a kid, but I just never raced 10 Ks anymore. So anyway, my, my, uh, like we would do a, a typical uh, week would be Monday off running, long ride, Tuesday track session, something like 10, 800s, uh, pretty, pretty quick, uh, usually in about 
about 70 seconds per quarter pace, you know, sort of that, that sort of pace, low rest, like 10, eight to 10, 800s with 200 jog recoveries. You know, that was a typical session throughout my whole career. Sometimes we do 400, sometimes we do one Ks, sometimes we do miles, but it was, it was all, it was all similar stuff. Um, uh, a kind of a long run on Wednesdays, usually in the Hills, usually with about an hour, really solid in there. Um, and, uh, at altitude, we used to run Switzerland Trail. You know, uh, we had a 15-mile loop. Uh, Rob DiCasella had a group of runners up there every Wednesday, so we'd go join them sometimes. Um, Thursday was usually a, a fairly light day, easy run with strides. Friday was an easy run day. Race Saturday or Sunday. If I, if I race Sunday, Saturday was another light day. So I, I usually ran six days a week. Um, during the winter, sometimes uh, I might run up to eight to nine times a week uh, when there was no racing for a few months, you know, try to get my, my mileage up, uh, but it was a little bit easier. Um, so I would say that that was uh, my basic weekly pattern for for 10 years, more than 10 years. Yeah. And I, I had a few injuries uh, along the way, mostly trouble with my back, but I was very lucky with uh, no leg injuries, really. Achilles tendonitis here and there, had plantar fasciitis one year, all of 87, really. And that was a pain in the ass. But, you know, structurally, I was pretty, pretty good. Uh, probably a lot like you, everybody thinks Cameron Brown is now. Um, you know, just seemed to be very resilient uh, and could run and run and run and run without, without much trouble at all. And so uh, my, main, my main issue there was just getting overtrained. Uh, so I, I, I did get overtrained a few times in my career. So I was aware that uh, to look for the signs of it um, and, um, and dial back things a little bit if I thought I was getting into difficulty, uh, especially if a big race was coming up. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, and then when you came back in 2000, did you kind of try and jump back into that same approach or did you take it? take a different approach? Did you learn from what you did and say, this is what I need to do differently now that I'm a little bit older? Well, there was a few things. One, I had all during my personal training years from 95 till 2000, I was a, a gym junkie. And so I was definitely bigger. Um, and, and, uh, and my aerobic base had definitely deteriorated uh, quite a lot. And so um, like I did some Ironmans and stuff and, and, I remember going to Brazil and uh, did, did some various races early on. And so I would say my volume for my bike and my run was probably less than half of what I did as a pro. My swimming was, was probably the same amount. Um, I was still, I was kind of lifting weights pretty regularly again uh, throughout that period, uh, just because I enjoyed it and because I was working in a gym. And um, uh but, but then again, I, until, until I was, I think my first knee operation was when I was about 46. So until then I was, I was pretty resilient, uh, you know, with, without much troubles, but I was working and I, I had a couple kids and uh, my wife hated me being a triathlon zombie tired all the time. She wanted to go out, you know, have dinner with, hang out with people and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, <laughs> So imagine uh, that. Yeah, imagine that. So uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, so my, my, my run and bike volume were definitely about half, maybe, maybe even less, maybe even a third of what I did as a pro. Do you think had you changed that structure, do you think if you were going to go back and look at your kind of pro career and change things, would you have implemented some of those changes sooner? Or do you think you kind of like got the most out of yourself with the training you did at the time? I, I definitely would have cut back my long rides. Um, I probably wouldn't have changed my, um, my, my swim volume uh, and, and swim intensity. I probably, I probably got that pretty good. I think I hit that right throughout most of my career. I, kn I knew when I needed some easier swim sessions and I, I wouldn't mind going to the back of the lane and uh, just, you know, floating through a session when I was really pooped. And um, I, I, the other thing I probably would have done is I probably would have taken more run days off on my easy days, uh, my recovery days. Um, you know, I remember Justin Dare giving me grief because uh, he says like, Melina's recovery days are seven hours, you know? And so I, I did do a lot of easy training uh, and, um, my volume was always very high. And so I, if I had to do it again, I would have just cut the runs out completely on those easy days. I wouldn't have run on those days. When you say volume very high, just for our listeners, can you give them like one rounded specific number of hours per week that all of that stuff that you just listed sort of like you can hit that over and over again? 34 hours a week around now. That includes the race. That's a lot of hours. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of hours. But, you know, like I say, um, I was I was doing that as a kid, you know, at, at 16 when I was deep and 17 when I was deep in my swimming career. You know, we were I was in the pool 30 hours a week. Crazy. crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. Seemed yeah. to have worked. Um, so I was another kind of question um, about how things have evolved. So as training, like trainings evolved, like right from, from 80 to, to the nineties to 2000 to now, um, everyone seems obsessed with lactate monitors now that the Norwegians are, you know, like that's being more prevalent and, and also they, they cost less, they're more readily available. Heart rate monitors are so much easier to use. Um, what's, uh, like what's something I guess that's like, that's come along that you you've really like latched onto, or you think is super interesting and neat, uh, I guess more in the last 10 years, um, that you're, you find interesting or any way you want to take that power meters mostly, you know, I think, I think that was, that's the main tool that, uh, that I think is most useful for most people, you know, uh, um, I, 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 I think I, with heart rate monitors, I got a lot wrong, uh, you know, like with aerobic threshold, I had a lot of, uh, athletes doing a lot of training at aerobic threshold, but when you're really, really tired, you know, your, your heart rate can be depressed a bit. And so, you know, you're killing yourself to train at aerobic threshold. Whereas if you had Watts, you would be saying to yourself, you know what, I'm, I'm riding 20 Watts, 30 Watts higher at the same heart rate. And, um, why is that, you know? And it's just because you can't get your heart rate up because you're so, you're so, so pooped. And so um, of all the tools that have come along, I would say a power meter by far is the most useful for most people. Are you ever like, how do you think that would have changed your personal training? Cause like you didn't have a power meter for your whole career. Um, the first ones came out probably right as you were ending. Right. Uh, very yeah. 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 After that. 
So yeah, yeah I, I would have, I would have, you know, used it like I use uh, the track for intervals, you know, try to be objective on the really hard stuff, you know, easy stuff, e easy stuff. I was always good at going easy enough. Um, that was never a problem. I don't think for me. Um, and, uh, but, but on my hard days, it would have been nice to have an objective measure on the bike. Yeah. I, I've obviously I've read a lot about you over the years. Um, I was lucky enough to my college, uh, house had a stack of triathlon magazines dating from like 1991 to 2000. When I moved in, it was, it was like every single issue read every page anyways. So, um, but it's interesting hearing from your own perspective, cause you'd hear about the volume you would do. And it also sounds like what didn't come across in a lot of those articles from whenever I read them, um, is that you do a pretty darn good job of taking the easy stuff easy. Um, and, and kind of relaxing and, and having a laid back attitude about it and enjoying the training. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it is. And I, I would say I, I got that from my, my running days, you know, I ran, I ran a lot of hundred mile weeks when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, yeah. and, and, and all of the, uh, information that I got back then in the seventies was that, you know, you run hard on your hard days and you run very, very easy on your easy days, you know, you know, the Kenyans are running along at, you know, seven, eight minutes a mile. What, yeah. why, what the hell do I, why, why should I be running six minute miles? You know, if these guys are, you know, sub two ten marathoners are, are, are running eight minute miles. I'm, you know, I says, if all the best runners are doing it one way, you know, don't be a knucklehead, you know, don't be, don't try to reinvent the wheel and do something, you know, that, that all the best in the world are saying is a bad idea. Would you say like, uh, we could just take that as a soundbite and play that to someone who's maybe going a little too hard on there. Cause I was going to say like, obviously you do this. Yeah. You do this with your athletes. And, and I think most of us as coaches, we have to convince people to go easier. Um, and so like, what are some techniques that you've used to, to get people to kind of buy into that idea? I think you actually said that to me once. Don't be a, well, more than once, probably don't be a knucklehead. It was exactly that. Just Marilyn, don't be a knucklehead. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it's like, you're asking me, you know, to an athlete, this is my conversation. You know, you're asking me for, for my advice. And, and I'm telling you, this is my reply is I'm telling you, this is important. You got to go easy. If you don't, then you won't be recovered. Your quality sessions won't be get you what you want. And you won't, you won't be getting the most out of yourself. You know, don't be a knucklehead. Don't be silly. Just, just go easy. And oftentimes I have to give them a pace. Like, look, if you run faster than 8.45 a mile today, that's too fast for you. Forget it. Or sometimes I even put in walk-jog sessions for people who have, who have trouble slowing down. I'm like, okay, well, we'll just put in some walks in. Is that what you want? Okay, that's what we'll have to do. That's, that's fine. We can do that. That's really good advice. Do you, so I, I'm also curious because you got in all those years in high school, um, and you're running and you're swimming very high volume and you were lucky. I mean, you had uh, coaches who were encouraging of that. So you got in all that volume, um, pretty quickly. So if let's say you were taking on uh, a 20 year old, not a 15 year old, who's, who's kind of just starting to the sport. Do you often say like, okay, we're going to start at square one, but we can't really kick it off with a 80 K week and a hundred mile run week. Um, so do you start that? Like, is that kind of your baseline of like, okay, it's, this is, this is why you have the conversation with Marilyn. This is going to take years. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't use the term years anymore. Cause I think that puts off people. I think I, I, what I, what I try to say is, um, keep an open mind, 
know it's going to take a long time and and we'll just if if you're making progress that's good enough right so we don't know when you're going to get to what your ideal thing is the situation race ability that you that you're hoping for no one can say when you're going to get there but if you're doing the right things and you're making progress then okay that's good enough keep an open mind about when you're going to be the best that you can be what's your uh, you know back when we were all racing and that it's like everyone always kind of said if you're hitting like 32 35 38 you're definitely old and should not be even towing the line professionally anymore jesse's like hey what are you doing throwing me under the bus here um but obviously that's changed and i'm not just and and where where i'm going with this is i mean look at cameron i mean i remember meeting him you know through you and he's still going absolutely killing it i know he's not doing exactly what he used to where he was top three or contending to win in hawaii but i mean man that guy is still out there absolutely racing like a rock star. And we've seen plenty of athletes in their forties still racing pretty fast. I remember you coming to Ironman, Arizona, weren't you like 41 or 42 and you 45 You were, And I mean, you raced as an amateur and you came here. I mean, you just were having fun, drank some beers and you were still like top five overall, you know? Um, so do you have like any, like thoughts on that, that people it used to be like, okay, we at 32, 35, you really looked at like, that's it. After that, you might as well just like go home and, and start thinking about a different career. And now, you know, there's a lot of people racing a lot later. It's, um, you know, I guess it's sort of asking the same questions, but any, but I, 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 I think people have gotten better at the, the, at embracing the therapies that they know they need to keep them going. You know, uh, Craig Alexander is a good a good example. Um, Greg Bennett is another good example. Uh, you know, uh, people who had very long careers at the very top end of the sport, and and they understood that the the therapy, you know, the massage, the PT stretching, all that stuff, foam rolling, all the boring crap that you know, you, the least last thing you want to do when you're dead tired, that you have to do it. I think. I think that's changed um, for sure. That that um, the pros who have long careers are are really good at saying this is part of the job. I've got to do it, and I know it costs money. I know it takes time and energy, and but it's just got to do it, or else my body's gonna not not gonna hang in there, you know, very much longer. One last thing, I know Jesse and Elliot probably have uh, some some closing questions, but the the one last thing I would love to touch on is the one thing that you did differently than any coach I've ever met and that I think is really special and is like a real secret sauce to success of just people who are successful when they're around you is you really keep it fun. You know, like that is probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned and took away is that and I hang on too tightly in my coaching as people get more and more focused on, you know, like we, we know that all these things that we're talking about, the additional tools and, you know, all these areas that we can really dial in more and more focus, then there is a balance where that becomes so hard on people that it takes the fun out and they end up giving up and quitting before they ever see their potential. And I think you were so good at, with whatever we had at the time, using 
tools for progression and, and really dialing into those things. But you were such a big advocate. We always had just the best time, like every best story I ever have or from days out on the bike or run or whatever crazy days that we did that made it made it fun, which then added to consistency, which then, you know, all the things that actually mattered. Um, what's what like, tell me, I mean, I think you have that sort of that touch on everybody that you come across, you know, not just me, but like every person you've ever interjected yourself in their sporting career, that's just been a part of it. You, you bring a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. Do you want to share a little bit on that? Yeah, I, I, I think that's an important topic. I, I, I don't think there's actually a lot of stuff that people really need to do that they don't like to do or don't want to do. I think if, 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 if I just said to you, Marilyn, just do all the stuff you want to do and then write it down. And two weeks after two weeks, I'll look at it and say, okay, this, this is where, this is what you like to do. You, this is what you're doing. Now, this is what you're going to need to add or change a little bit. And I'll bet it's less than, 5% of what you, what you'd like to do. And, and so I don't think, um, from a coach, a coaching aspect, a coaching, uh, relationship, you know, you need to come and say, okay, this is what you need to do. You know, I think you come at it and say, you know, why are you doing this for? You must, you must, you must love it. You know, you, uh, you must want to enjoy it. Uh, if, if, if the person is just totally focused on the result and not the process, then I, I do have a conversation with them. I says, you know what, if you don't enjoy this process, you're not going to get where you want to get, you know? So, so first thing is you need to look at your attitude and your why and, uh, and look at, look at why you're, why you're doing this. And if, if it's, if it's still, I only want the result and I, I, I don't care what I do or what, I, how much I have to suffer to get there then, then usually my reply is I'm not the, I'm not the right coach for you. You know, I, I don't think your attitude is going to get you. I think you're, 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 you have a self-defeating attitude. And so uh, if they come back and say, okay, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm willing to have a little bit more of an open mind about it. Then I'll, I just like, okay, let's, let's just figure out a way for you to have a bit more fun. Maybe it's a, a group, maybe it's one other person, uh, you know, that you meet, for rides or runs that you enjoy their company that makes you, you know, it makes it enjoyable. Um, whatever, whatever it takes to, to make things more enjoyable. If, if, if you, because, Hey, it's going to take years, right? If you're hating it, forget it. You're not going to, you're not going to last. You're not going to last the distance. So what's the point? On the fun section, I was curious, like uh, outside of maybe some of the bigger races that everyone's heard of, looking back on your career, what what was like maybe the most fun course or most fun vibe of a of a single race you did? Um, yeah, almost any race in Florida. <laughs> uh, Florida's Florida's wild. Uh, Fort Lauderdale because of the Fort, races or the party, Scott. The 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 stuff around the races. <laughs> Uh, oh my goodness. I broke up with a girl cause she was from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale is, is just a wild place. Miami's wild. Um, and, and, you know, we just, I met some, even the race directors are wild there. Uh, so I, I had some, a lot of fun in Florida. Um, 
where else? Um, Didn't you have a little bike crash on the on in France? Having <laughs> that's true. That was my very first time out of the United States, Marilyn. I was <laughs> a, a very shy country boy from Pittsburgh, California, and I was riding along the Promenade des Anglais in 1982, my first trip out of the United States, and I had never ever seen a topless woman in person, and there was thousands of them lying on the beach and we're riding along we're riding along the promenade and i'm just you know like riding like this and i ran into uh those benches that they have uh you know where people sit i just ran straight into one and uh, luckily my my front tire went between the slats of the seat and uh, my bike just went and i put my hands down and and kept my head from slamming on the seat but I was clipped in, so I was just hanging in it upside down, you know, <laughs> looking at the beach. Uh, yeah, that was a little that was a little embarrassing. There was about five five of us on that ride, and uh, they got a big kick out of that. <laughs> that was worth it. And and okay, my final my final question is: uh, of all the the races you've seen, like as a spectator, what what is uh, you know from from F one racing, Super Sprint, um, the the current super league stuff to the current, uh, the way the Olympics are, are raced now to some of these like extreme tries or the old, uh, nice race and just to any Ironman or even Ultraman. What, what is one race that you feel like you'd really like to, as a spectator, watch or see how people do, um, with, with some of the current professionals today. There was a really cool race called the French iron tour, which I did. Uh, and Simon Lessing was on my team. Uh, I think that, there's some YouTube of it. I, I think there might, there might be. Yeah. That was, that was a really cool concept. And uh, especially the year I did it, it was, it was not, it got kind of watered down after that. But uh, like we had the Alpduez stage on the, on the last day and um, very hard, hard race that last day. But what all the races were hard. And, uh, and it was a team event. We had team time trial. We had, we had a drafting race. Uh, we had two very hilly races. Um, and the whole thing was just a blast. And uh, there was, um, you, I, I, I imagine they could have made it in a little bit more spectator friendly if they had had a, a circuit uh, aspect to it in, in some of the races. Um, but it would have made for great TV as well. Uh, so I would love to see a professional proper stage race uh, that has some really hard stuff, some really fast stuff, some long stuff. You know, it's a similar idea to the Tour de France, which is what this that Iron Tour was based on. Um, I, th I thought that concept had tremendous potential and it, 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 it just seemed to disappear. So I'd love to see that come back. Awesome. Uh, quick question kind of on the racing front. Obviously, you raced a ton in your career. Um, and I read this... This, I think it was a, a quote from you anyways, it might be paraphrased, but basically summing up that you just like, you didn't race to the power meter because it wasn't a thing, right? And you just kind of went for it. Like you had that that kind of attitude of kind of just going for it and seeing what would happen. Um, can you talk about like your mindset going into or like during a race and and yeah, what where your head was at? Because like you needed to kind of, I don't know, be in the zone or be pretty focused to race a lot of times over a long period of time. So yeah, how'd you, how'd you handle that or... And how do you help your athletes handle that? Well, what, one of the reasons I, I believe in hard training and, 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 and one of the reasons I started Epic Camp was because 
so much of, of what goes on in your head in a race is the belief that you can overcome the discomfort of racing, right? It's, it's hard. You might not feel good. Your stomach might be giving you grief. You might even be throwing up. It doesn't matter. You know, once, once you've suffered a tremendous amount in training, and it's one of the reasons why I did the training that I did, is because it, it reaffirmed that belief that I can tolerate just about anything. You know, I, I can be on death's door and I can still get up and go and go hard, you know. And so when I raced, I brought that to my racing and I thought, um, I know I can attack. I know I can move. I, I can surge. Um, I can put people under tremendous pressure, even if it makes me, you know, suffer tremendously. Um, I, I, I know that I can handle it. I know I can break people. And uh, I know I can crack people. And so, you know, I went into races with that mindset that, and, and oftentimes that's all it took is, is oh, Molina, there goes Molina. He's surging, you know, oh, he's taking off. He's going to win the race. We're, and they, they start looking around at each other and racing for second, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I had tremendous confidence that I could, even on a bad day, I could just suffer and go hard right till the end. and the likelihood was that I was going to be on the podium. Awesome. Um, and then do you do anything with your athletes to help them kind of um, cultivate some of that confidence so that they can have maybe not quite that same, but a similar mindset to, yeah, to getting the most out of themselves in a race? Well, I, I do, I do have conversations with just about everybody that, 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 you know, there needs to be some training that involves a lot of discomfort so that you experience it and know it's not going to kill you. You know, you're going to, you're going to be okay. You pro probably, if you, if you crawled off your bike now, after this really, really brutal session in two minutes, you, you, you're going to be thinking, okay, I'm okay. You know, what was I thinking? I was going to die for, uh, same with swimming. Sometimes in swimming, you know, I'll, I'll recommend the same thing. Some sessions that are ridiculously hard for that very reason. You know, it's like, well, what were you thinking when you were getting changed after that session? You know, uh, how did you feel? And it's like, oh yeah, it was hard, but you know, now I'm okay. And it's and and I think once you do you do that a few times, you get it through your head that okay, you know, I'm I'm a, I can handle a lot more discomfort than I previously thought was reasonable. Awesome, I like that. I'm going to steal some of that. <laughs> that was good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I think that this conversation, people are going to get so many golden nuggets out of this. Um, I know that all three of us could sit here and ask you questions for the next six hours, but I think Aaron would start probably throwing eggs at us from behind you there. We can see her <laughs> walking around and you might be like, forget about it. I'm going to grab a beer. So it's my uh, nap time anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, Time for bed, but we sure appreciate you taking the time to come and, and talk to us about, you know, coaching your career. And um, there's so many special things and special memories that I have with you. And you've definitely had the biggest influence in, in my coaching career. So hopefully, hopefully I'm doing you some justice of passing on some of the lessons. I, I, I know that I've 
I've used that term a lot to athletes. I coach saying, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> you can handle it. <laughs> I think I must've been, it must've come from hearing it for so many years as well. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. No, it, it was, it was, it was from, it was probably from your own experience. <laughs> I remember, I remember one particular time and we'll finish with this. Uh, you and I, and, uh, another guy were sitting, uh, on a curb trying to get some antibiotics uh during an epic camp and you were you were sick and you were coughing and you you had that lung thing and i thought oh god she's got bronchitis or pneumonia coming on pretty quick here and we were deep into that camp and uh and i said something about you know this dumb hick doctor wouldn't you know prescribe uh what we wanted what we knew would help you and uh even then and so you didn't get anything to help you but you came through that camp and I remember your genes were just falling off you. And I thought, you know, she's gonna, she, these experiences are gonna, are gonna help her uh, in her career. She's, she's gonna know that, you know, when things get really, really difficult, she's, she can get through them. And, uh, and I think that's a, a, hard, a hard lesson for coaches to impart uh, to people, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, that's, that's certainly a part of coaching, an important part of coaching. And, um, you know, I was glad I was able to experience that with you. I thought that that was that was good for both of us. <laughs> you had that Buckley's in the back in your back of your jersey pocket. You just kept handing to me after they wouldn't give me those meds. You're like, here, take a swig of this because I can't listen to you cough anymore. <laughs> oh, awesome stuff. All righty. Okay. Well, I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for yeah. inviting me. Thank you so much. Really great to catch up with you and um, say hi to Aaron for us, too. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. We'll see y'all later. Bye. Thank you.